Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be uh, finishing up chapter 5 and going a little bit into chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews this morning as we continue our study. Now, our passage for this morning, the author to the Hebrews is making this point that the church needs to strive towards greater theological maturity if they are to grow in Christ. He realizes that he is about to head into some deep theological waters as we will get to later on in chapter 6, but he's concerned that his audience isn't going to be able to follow his teaching because they have not yet been equipped to understand what he is about to say. Look at verses 11 through 12. You'll see this. He says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now what is the point? Well, the point is, is that the Christian life will not be sustained by a shallow, infantile understanding of theology. Rather, we must grow from the basics of the faith, that is, milk, into full maturity, solid food. The Apostle Paul explains this same point when he says that we must attain a knowledge of Christ that leads to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You see, there is a reason that wherever the gospel goes, it is brought with its schools and increased intellectual growth. Because at the very heart of the Great Commission is the command to teach and therefore the command to learn. For the Word of God is light. The Lord Jesus Christ is wisdom. And therefore the enemy does well to keep people ignorant and in darkness. And as we reflect upon the current trend of intellectual decline within our churches, we must be warned that this will lead to ever greater levels of susceptibility to falsehood and ignorance. That is not to say that you have to go to college or seminary to remain faithful to Christ. Rather, Each of us must diligently apply ourselves to deeper and deeper levels of theological knowledge so that we might stand against the ever-changing tides of false thinking and deception that are rampant today. And therefore, if we would persevere in our faith, we must grow in the knowledge of our faith. So here now, the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 11 and go into chapter 6. This is God's holy word. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now at this time and we ask that you would give to us your spirit for your word teaches us that spiritual truth must be spiritually discerned. And so we pray, oh God, that by your grace that you would permit us to grow in our knowledge of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Peter Pan is the quintessential figure of immaturity. We all know the story of Peter Pan and how he is a perpetual boy who never wants to grow up. He wants to play with the lost boys and fight Captain Hook forever and ever. He famously sings, never going to be a man, I won't like to see somebody try and make me. Anyone who wants to try and make me turn into a man, catch me if you can. And it seems that many in the church have a similar approach to their knowledge of the Word of God. They believe that having a childlike faith means having an immature or childish faith. You begin to mention learning the catechism or reading the Westminster Confession of Faith or systematic theology, and they instantly balk as though it is a suggestion of Herculean feat of intellectualism. Pastors are taught and encouraged not to use big theological words like justification or imputation or propitiation. Anything with a shun in it is off limits. You don't want to scare people off by being too highbrow or elitist. Speak in short sentences with small words. And if you have the technology, use pictures because people like pictures. As though congregants are a bunch of preschoolers. Talk about being elitist. It's elitist to withhold knowledge, not to hold Christians to a high standard of knowledge. And if Christianity is going to survive in 21st century America, we are going to have to reject this anti-intellectualism and begin to embrace the obligation that every single Christian has to diligently pursue a mature knowledge of truth. I want you to see this obligation in our text Two verses in particular highlight it. First, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought 
to be teachers. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone is going to be a teacher, but what he is saying is that by this time in your relationship with Christ, you should have matured enough that you can teach others. And then down to verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, some believe that it is for certain Christians to become proficient in their knowledge of the Bible and of theological topics. Pastors and teachers, they have obligation to go on to maturity. But the regular Christian just needs to know the very basics. But this is not what the Bible teaches. Of course, there are some people who have a call to be pastors and teachers, and yes, they have the privilege and the time and the increased obligation of calling to know the Word of God. Nevertheless, every single Christian has the call to mature in the faith as much as they are able. One of the hallmarks of the Reformation was the insistence upon the priesthood of all believers. The medieval Catholic Church had made theological pursuit the domain of professionals only. The Pope, cardinals, bishops, priests, and monks, they are to learn theology, but the rest of the rabble were merely required to believe what the church believed. This is called implicit faith. The regular churchgoer only needs to believe that the church teaches the right doctrine, He doesn't have to know what those doctrines are. He doesn't have an obligation to know anything beyond that the church is right. He nearly needs to assent to the belief that the church understands the Word of God. A dog doesn't need to know how to buy kibble. He merely needs to trust that his master will feed him. But the reformers object. For they saw the truth of Scripture that everyone is obligated to know the substance of what they believe. We cannot be content with merely having a pastor who understands the gospel. We must understand the gospel for ourselves. We must read the Bible. We must study the Scriptures. We must give ourselves to studying the theological tradition of our church, to memorize the catechism, to read the confession. We must be ready in season and out of season. We must be able to give a reason for the hope that we have in the gospel. Now, in the day of the Reformation, the major obstacle to this growth in knowledge was accessibility to the Word of God. Luther and Wycliffe and others worked diligently to translate the Scriptures into the common language of the people. Schools were established to teach children and adults alike to read so that they could read the Word of God for themselves. Publishing houses were founded to propagate the faith. Confessions and catechisms were written to train the church. But in our day, accessibility is not the problem. Rather, it is focus. For on your phone, you have access to more theological knowledge than the most privileged scholar of the Reformation era, or any era for that matter. You have multiple translations of the Bible. You have every major theological work that has ever been written. You can download the app from Reformed Theological Seminary, and on that app, you have access to an entire seminary education worth of lectures for free. You have books and audiobooks. 
you have podcasts and blogs, but you also have a million other sources of information distracting you from learning. You have games and shows and secular podcasts. And you have in your own life obligations and hobbies and family. So for example, the reason why you don't know the Westminster Shorter Catechism isn't because you don't have access to it, but rather because our minds have been addled and dulled and crowded by everything else in this world. And this is the great irony of our times. Information is everywhere, but we never have enough time to learn any of it well. Christian, you cannot be content with a Peter Pan-like disposition to theological knowledge, but you must make every effort to focus your attention and to mature. It is the obligation of every Christian. So where do we begin? Well, the author to the Hebrews rebukes his readers because they are drinking milk and not yet eating solid food. However, to move on to solid food, you have to begin with milk. You have a small child and you give them milk because it helps them grow to the place where they can receive solid food. And you are called to build your theological knowledge by laying a solid foundation. So what are these foundational truths? Well, look at verses 13 and following, and we'll see these basic doctrines that he speaks of. He says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now again, the author is instructing his readers to move beyond these foundational truths, but we must understand he's not saying to leave them behind. He is not saying abandon the foundation that was laid. Rather, he is saying that we must build upon the foundation that was laid. So what is this foundation? Well, there is much that we could say, but we only have time this morning to summarize what we see in this passage. And first, to lay a foundation, we must know this word of righteousness. That is, the word of God, the inerrant word of God, must be the foundation upon which we build our theological knowledge. To move to spiritual maturity, you must know the Bible. Second, we must be able to apply the word of God. The knowledge that we have in God's Word was never meant to just remain in our mind. Rather, it's to be practiced in our lives. Third, to lay a foundation, we must know the doctrine of Christ. We must be Christ-centered. 
Christ-founded, growing up into Christ, because He is the rock that we build upon. And apart from Christ, there is no knowledge of God. Or to put it another way, until you have been born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know nothing of the one true God. And this leads to the fourth aspect of foundational knowledge, which is the order and means of salvation in Christ. The author lays out three pairs of foundational topics in this regard. There is listed in verse 1, first, repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Broadly, this equates to the doctrine of justification. All right, we have the foundation of repenting from our sin and believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a foundational document, or a foundational doctrine, rather, that we must see our sin and we must see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that He died upon the cross to pay for our sin. That is, we must have faith in the forgiveness that we have through the priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, there is instruction about washings, the laying on of hands. Now this couplet equates to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The word washings there is the same root word for baptism. And the laying on of hands is often connected with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so we have here a life of growth in the work of the Holy Spirit. And third, we see the resurrection of the dead in eternal judgment. And this couplet refers to the glorification of God's people. The resurrection being the renewal of our physical bodies and the eternal judgment, the day of our open acquittal before God, the eternal judgment of not guilty in the Lord Jesus Christ. Taken together, the foundational truth is that order of our salvation. Justification when we repent and believe. Sanctification as we grow in the work of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. And finally, glorification when the Lord Jesus returns, raises us from the dead, and openly acquits us in the day of judgment that we might fully enjoy God to all eternity. These are the foundational truths that we must focus upon. The Word of God. Christian living, a saving knowledge of Christ and the order of salvation. And therefore, I would encourage you, beyond just coming to church and Sunday school, begin to study your Bible. Download or buy a copy of the Westminster Shorter Catechism and begin to learn it. If you have only these three resources, the church the Bible, and the catechism. You will have more than enough to obey Scripture's command to lay a foundation for your faith. So how are we going to persevere in the faith? 
How are we going to defeat the falsehoods of our day? How are we going to meet the challenges of atheism and paganism and liberal Christianity, that is to say, heresy masquerading as Christianity? Well, we must progress beyond the basics to the deepest depths of theological knowledge that God allows us to plumb. Look at verse 14. There we see what the author means by moving to solid food. He says there, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, I could give you a list of the basic theological topics that you should know as a Christian. Things that you should study, that you should have tied down, that you know. But maturity is not about a list of things that you know. Rather, it is about discernment between what is good and what is evil. It is about having judgment. We must have the basics of the faith so locked down through daily practice and routine that when we face the confusing issues of our day, we will be able to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. An example of what happens when you don't have the basics down and don't mature in your faith. I know someone who was raised in the church She was part of the worship team and youth events. She was married to a young man who also professed belief in Christ. They started their family and had three children. And yet after a while, they began drifting away from the church. They retained an outward veneer of Christian values and language. They spoke about prayer and the Bible and would say things like, well, God is in control when hard things happen. They held generally conservative social views, and yet, over time, even the most basic elements of the Christian faith and belief seemed to fade away from their lives. In the past year, their preteen daughter began to identify as a boy. This little girl wanted to be called by a male name and use male pronouns. She wanted to dress like a boy and have everyone else treat her as though she were a boy. When a mutual friend of ours asked how they could go along with this delusion, she replied that her daughter was born with the soul of a boy. And because God doesn't make mistakes, therefore her daughter is a boy. Well, on the outside, she looks like a girl. In reality, she has the spirit of a boy, and therefore, we are going to treat her as though she is a boy. Or to use her words, as though he is a boy. This is what an infantile faith results in. Believing the most ignorant and illogical things both scientifically and theologically. For we know from a purely naturalist point of view that there are only two sexes, male and female. 
And these aren't determined by how you feel, but rather by who you are biologically. The whole transgenderism movement is a cult of complete ignorance. And from a theological point of view, we know that God created humanity male and female, and that our souls are not somehow implanted within us sometime after our conception with no reference to who we are biologically. Our souls are intimately tied to and reflective of our physical bodies, so much so that our glorification is not complete until the resurrection of the body at the second coming of Christ. And yet our culture is so deceived and in such darkness. We have been so lazy in the study of foundational truth that we can't tell the difference between good and evil. And we call murder health care and pride courage. We call ignorance knowledge. And we call males females and females males. We call light darkness and darkness light. And all of this flows from our worshiping self as God. And therefore, we must move beyond the basics unto maturity. Or as Paul says, we will be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We must go on to maturity or we will walk in darkness. The final verse of our passage for this morning gives us a proper humility concerning our growth in wisdom and knowledge. There it says, And this we will do, that is, we will grow in maturity if God permits. For ultimately, our concern is to know the things of the Lord. And the things of the Lord are not known by natural fallen human minds. They must be revealed. Paul says it this way, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, we must acknowledge our obligation to mature. We must lay a proper foundation to mature. And we must continually progress to mature. And the final thing we see is that we must submit to God's revelation to mature. We must accept that He and He alone is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. And as we as individuals and as church and as a culture divorce ourselves from the truth of God's revelation, the Lord will not permit us to grow in maturity. We will only grow as we submit ourselves to His revelation. So I want you to take time today and ask yourself, am I maturing? Am I growing in my knowledge of God's Word and truth? Access is not the issue. It is focus. So will you dedicate to focus? To learn the Word of God? To memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism? To study the Confession? Will you give yourself to go as far as God permits in a knowledge of Him unto discerning 
what is good from what is evil? I'll conclude with this final thought. In John 17, the Lord Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God. Will you not then take up the call to know as much of God through the Lord Jesus Christ as He permits you? Don't be content with a Peter Pan faith, but give yourself to ever richer and deeper maturity, growing up into the head, even the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to You, and we confess that we live in a world, and we have drunk from the fountain of falsehood ourselves. Lord, we have allowed the schemes of the enemy to infect our minds, and given in to an anti-intellectualism that leaves us vulnerable to the schemes of the enemy. Lord, we are like a weak animal at the edge of a herd that the lions can easily take down. Oh, would you cause us to grow and to mature in our faith that we might stand against the schemes of the enemy And that in a generation of confusion and ignorance and darkness, we might shine as a city upon a hill, speaking and living out a mature faith that leads to life and life everlasting. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.